0: Good evening, tonight we are going to be in 1st Peter, 1st Peter chapter 2, before I read that, uh, tonight we'll be talking about government a little bit, civil government, and there's two mistakes that we often make when thinking about civil government, number one is we think it's not relevant, you know, who cares about government, who cares about what goes on in Washington or whatever country you're in, who cares about government, that's not really our responsibility. Uh, to be concerned about that, and it doesn't really impact us. That's the first mistake people make when they think about government. The second mistake uh, we make is that we say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about government. The Bible's not interested in those things. I think tonight you'll see that uh, both of those uh, are mistakes. It is relevant. It's been relevant to Christians throughout church history, and it's relevant today, and the Bible does certainly teach on government. So... Open up your Bibles if you've brought a copy of God's word otherwise we might have it on the screen there and I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 13 and going through verse 17 Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme the emperor so tonight we're going to examine these verses under two main headings all right i've entitled this message honoring and undermining nero if you don't know who nero is I'll, I'll introduce him in a moment but i've entitled this message honoring and undermining nero so we're going to look at this in two parts we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 under this title this heading of honoring nero honoring those in authority and then We'll include verse 17 in that as well, and then we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 under this heading of undermining Nero, undermining Nero, and I'll explain what I mean by that. So first, let us consider what it means to honor Nero, to honor those in authority, and to do that, we're going to look at the context of this command that Peter gives to the Christians in Asia Minor, and then we'll look at the command itself. So to kind of set the stage here, I want you to imagine that it's you're living in the year AD one twelve. Okay, you're a Christian living in Bithynia, uh, which is part of the mighty Roman Empire. Now, the Apostle John, the last of the apostles, would have just died within the past decade. And thirty-two years before that, Peter would have written this letter. Possibly your parents or grandparents would have received this letter from Peter. In Bithynia, which is part of modern-day Turkey now, so all the apostles have died, but the church lives on. The church lives on. If you're living in, in Bithynia at this time, you, the governor, your governor is a man named Pliny, all right? His name's Pliny the Younger, and he reports directly to the Emperor of Rome, who at this time is a man named Trajan. All right now you've never seen the Emperor in person, but you've seen his face on coin and monuments. Throughout your town. Now, one day, you and two of your companions are summoned by the governor. All right, all three of you have been charged with a crime. All right, the crime that you're charged with is you are charged with being a Christian. You're charged with the crime of being a Christian. You see, your emperor isn't fond of Christians. And after all, Christians uh, are in this habit of worshiping this man Jesus from Israel, who claims to be Lord of all. And the emperor doesn't like that, that there's a rival to him, that you are worshiping this man, Jesus. And so the emperor has authorized your governor, Pliny, to do what he seems fit with followers of Jesus, what he sees fit. And so you're brought to the governor, and you're, and you're waiting to give an answer to the charge. And first, your companion is brought forward before Pliny, and uh, Pliny asks him, if the charge is true, are you a Christian? And your companion admits that he is a Christian. Pliny asks a second time, are you a Christian? Your companion answers, yes. A third time, the governor asks, are you a Christian? And this time, there's a warning that to affirm allegiance to Jesus Christ is to deny your allegiance to the emperor and is to secure your execution. You will be killed if you make this affirmation. Your friend persists in his testimony, and thus he's led away and executed. Your second friend is called before Pliny. When he is asked if he's a Christian, he denies it. The governor then requires him to make an offering of wine and incense to Emperor Trajan's statue. Finally, then, your companion has to revile And curse the name of Christ in front of the governor, which he does, and then he is set free. Next, you are called to stand before the governor. Your options are clear, Christ or the emperor, Jesus or Trajan, the emperor. Worship one, and your life is spared. Worship the other, and your head will be severed from your body. Obey the emperor, and you live obey Christ and you die. This scenario is not a fairy tale, right? This actually happened. Pliny wrote to the emperor saying that he was convinced that anyone who would remain a Christian so stubbornly uh, ought not go unpunished. Ought not to go unpunished. Now when Peter wrote this letter to the Christians in Asia Minor, it was about 40 or 50 years before this man named Trajan But there was already persecution occurring at the time Peter wrote this letter. When Peter wrote this letter, the emperor was a man named Nero. A man named Nero. And Nero would have most certainly approved of the same treatment uh, that Trajan would endorse 50 years later. In fact, uh, Nero's infamous. If you know anything about church history, he is infamous for his oppression of Christians in Rome. There was a Roman historian who uh, was born... Uh, he would have been around 10 years old when Peter wrote this letter. So he was alive during this time, and he did some research as he grew up, and he reported that uh, in A.D. 64, just about the time Peter wrote this letter, maybe a couple years before, there was a fire in Rome, and and Tacitus, this historian, reports that Nero blamed the Christians, and he would force the Christians to wear skins of wild animals and then throw them to packs of savage dogs to be killed. He would also take Christians and light them on fire on crosses to illuminate his garden and the circuses that he was doing. He was a wicked, vile man. Nero was anything but godly or just. He murdered his own mother because he wanted to divorce his wife and marry someone else. And then he murdered his ex-wife even though she posed no threat to his rule. And then finally he murdered the new wife that he married anyway. He was a monster, to put it mildly. In fact, the Apostle John refers to him as a beast in the book of Revelation. And it's actually likely that both Peter and Paul died in Rome under Nero's reign, with Nero's approval. Two of the greatest apostles and evangelists of the Christian faith were martyred under Nero's government. This is the context in which Peter's readers received this letter. And this is the context in which they read the following words in verse 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And if you look at verse 17 at the very end, it says, honor the emperor. It would have been impossible for them to read these words about submission to Nero and his governors without thinking about suffering. At least some level of serious persecution was occurring in Asia Minor at the time Peter wrote this. And if you spent time, if you've been here a refuge, and especially as we move forward in this book, if you spent time reading and rereading 1 Peter, you will know that one of the major things that caused Peter to write this letter was the fact that there was suffering occurring among the Christians. There was suffering. In fact, First Peter is probably the letter that's written to the largest geographical area. You know, Asia Minor, all these uh, locales that he mentions in, in verses 1. There was suffering that was widespread in the Roman Empire. The sheep are suffering, and they're suffering not only at the hands of their fellow citizens, but at the hands of the government, at the hands of a wicked civil government. Now, I believe when Peter penned these words about submitting to Nero, he did so with a very clear understanding that oppression was coming, had come already, or would come from the civil government. In fact, as I mentioned, Peter was likely killed under Nero. He's possibly in a prison cell writing this letter from Rome. In a prison because he refused to submit to Nero's command to deny Christ. Peter was a man who understood that suffering comes from people just like Nero and from governments just like Rome. That's the context of this charge. The context is suffering under an unjust human government. Now, Peter still gives the charge. He says, submit to Nero and honor Nero. So we have to consider now what is this command that Peter gives when he calls on Christians to submit to, to this emperor. The first part of Peter's instructions to Christian living under Nero's humanistic reign is to submit to civil government, honor Nero. But what does that mean? All right, if we're going to talk about our responsibility to the civil magistrate, I can break that down into three things. We obey just laws, and I'll go through these then. We so we obey just laws, we endure suffering from unjust governments when we disobey unjust laws. And three, we speak respectfully of and to the magistrates. So number one, our first duty to the magistrate, our first duty to Nero, if you will, is to obey just laws. And as we consider this duty, we'll also consider what is the role of civil government. Why did God institute government on earth? If Nero calls you to obey a just law, you ought to obey. For example, laws against murder, theft, adultery, these laws are God's laws, and they are, in fact, the very reason civil government exists. God has ordained Nero, President Trump, and every other ruler to this very specific end, to punish evildoers and praise those who do good. All right. Remember I said one mistake people make is they say, well, the Bible doesn't talk much about government. It doesn't say much about it. Well, it says a lot right here. The role of the magistrate is to enforce God's law now someone might say to me wait a minute it doesn't say enforce God's law it doesn't say anything about biblical law it just says punish evil but I would respond to that by saying that the Bible makes it clear that there's only one standard for good and evil and that's God's law no person whether a father in the home an officer in the church whether it's pastor elder deacon or ruler in society is free to make a law which contravenes or goes against God's law Nero truly has no authority to commit injustice. He has no authority to tell someone you can't be a Christian. You know, Romans 13, we won't turn there, but that's another passage in the New Testament which clearly lays out the role of the civil magistrate or the civil government. And it notes that the civil ruler is actually a minister of God. When we think of minister, we often think of the church and and a pastor. But the Bible speaks of the civil magistrate as being a minister of God of God, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 13. Now, both Peter and Paul knew very well that this is the proper role of the magistrate, not necessarily the practice of every magistrate. This is where people get confused. Peter and Paul say the role of the magistrate is to punish evildoers, but they would never say that when a civil ruler beheaded a Christian or plundered his property, or imprisoned him for his testimony to Christ, that that ruler was carrying out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The civil ruler is bound to keep God's law, and he will be held accountable to God for his failure to do so. This is why Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, he pronounced a curse on those who would make laws not based on God's righteous standard. In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1, Isaiah says, Woe to those, a curse be upon you. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. So if you're making these laws which are iniquitous, unjust, the prophet Isaiah says, You have the curse of God upon you. And that falls. On the people in Isaiah's day, it fell on Nero, and it falls on those today who would make laws which contravene God's laws, who would make laws that say it's okay to murder a baby in the womb. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, who call good evil and evil good. So that's our first responsibility to the civil magistrate, to obey just laws. That's why the civil magistrate exists, to enforce just laws. But we have another duty that Peter gives us, if we consider this and that's to endorse suffering from unjust government when you disobey unjust laws. Peter knows that no harm would come to Christians whom he's writing to if Nero were fulfilling his duty as a minister of God. Right? But the message of this whole letter of 1 Peter is that if you suffer, if you suffer because Nero or whoever your governor, president or emperor king is, if you suffer Because that person isn't doing their duty, but you are doing yours to obey God. If you suffer, patiently endure that suffering with your eyes fixed on Christ and his example. Don't become bitter and don't seek to return evil for evil. So we not only ought to submit to the just laws, but we ought also to be willing to submit to suffer for Christ at the hand of Nero and his unjust laws. Now there's two types of unjust laws, as it relates to us and as it would have related to Peter's audience. The first category is when you're asked, you're not being asked to sin, but you're just simply being wronged. So, for example, if Nero authorizes a special tax because you're a Christian, and he says, "Well, we're going to take extra money from you because you're a Christian," Peter would say, "Don't resist the governor with the sword. Don't don't resist with violence the one who comes to collect the tax that the emperor." has authorized against you. Submit to being wronged. It an injustice. You're being wronged, but submit to it. That's one way you submit to the ruling authorities. You submit to being wronged. The second category, though, of unjust laws are those laws which actually call on you to sin, either by doing something God has told you not to do or by forbidding you from doing something that God has told you to do. This is where you must not submit to Nero or the governor or the president in obeying an evil decree. But you should submit, Peter says, to suffering for righteousness' sake. You should submit to suffering. For example, if your emperor or your governor or your president calls on you to stop preaching Christ, you cannot obey him. You must obey God and keep preaching. And when Nero comes to punish you, submit to being wronged. Submit to suffering. Don't return that injustice with violence. Or if Nero calls on you to recant your faith, you cannot obey him. You must obey God and confess Christ. If Nero comes to punish you, submit to being wronged. Submit to suffering for Christ's sake. The greatest example of this, of course, is Jesus Christ. He was wrongfully condemned, yet he did not return evil for evil, but entrusted his soul to him who judges justly. If Nero wrongs you, know that Nero will not have the final word. The judge of all the earth will have the final word. It is true that we can and should appeal to the authorities to treat us justly, but we ought not violently oppose them. If I'm arrested, for example, for preaching the gospel at the abortion mill, I can appeal to the law for my freedom, but I should not use physical force to resist my arrest, even though the state has no authority from God to arrest me for preaching the gospel. That's an unjust act by the government, and they will be called to account by God for that. But Peter says, don't resist with violence. This is what it means to submit to suffering, Under unjust governments. You know, the Christians, if you know church history in England, who were killed under the reign of Bloody Mary in England, they were killed because they would not submit to her laws against preaching Christ, right? And rather than oppose Bloody Mary with the sword, they said, We will die preaching Christ, and we will lay down our lives. And we submit to unjust governments by willingly laying down our rights and even our lives for Christ rather than using violence to secure our freedom. And I believe that's the key to understanding this passage, is to see it part of Peter's extended commentary on suffering. Right? He's going to talk about servants and, and, and wives, and if you have an unjust master or a, a husband who doesn't obey the word, endure the, that sorrow while suffering unjustly, he'll say a few verses later. So, you know, Peter doesn't here counsel us to rise up against the government and take up arms. And if there's one thing that was clear to everyone reading this letter, it was that Nero was an unjust emperor. Everyone knew that Nero was evil. Peter didn't need to say, hey, be subject to the emperor, even if he's not good and gentle, as he'll say to wives. He didn't need to say, hey, be subject to the emperor, even if he doesn't obey the word. That's actually what he says to wives. He says "The good and gentle to servants. He didn't need to say that. Everyone knew that Nero was unjust and everyone knew that Nero didn't obey the word. And so this context is very clear. Submit to suffering under unjust laws. Now the third aspect of how we are to submit to civil authorities and honor them, as verse 17 says, is to speak respectfully of those in authority. Now the, that idea... Of honoring the position of a civil ruler is, very, is a very difficult concept for many in America to embrace um, our political climate is one in which it would almost be strange uh, to speak of the president or those that are on the opposite party without either disparaging him or reviling the opponents our political climate is very much charged and there's a lot of you know, hurling insults and names back and forth but Christians ought not to sink to that level We ought to keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. You know, Peter was under no illusion that Nero was a godly man. Peter was about to die under Nero's rule. Yet he desired Christians to honor him as emperor. And I am under no illusion that President Obama or President Trump are godly men. Nevertheless, I ought to speak respectfully of them or whoever is president even as I call on them to submit to Christ, to repent of sin and submit to Christ. So we ought to guard our mouths in the way we speak of those rulers God has set over us. Let us set a different example than the one everyone else is in the world. Our tone shouldn't be one of hatred. It should be one of love, calling on all people, whatever their station, whether king or commoner, to repent and turn to Christ, That is the charge Peter gives in verses 13 and 14. Be subject to the ruling authority. Submit to just laws. Submit to suffering under unjust laws. And show honor and respect to the emperor. Now in the next part of the message, I want to turn to verses 15 and 16. I want to point you now to Peter's instructions that he gives that will undermine every kingdom Including Nero's, that has arisen against Christ's kingdom. So, the first half we looked at honoring Nero. Now, I want to look at the instruction that Peter gives that will actually undermine Nero's kingdom. All right, and I want to have to explain this because you might not see it right away. So, we're going to consider three things under this heading of undermining Nero. We're going to look at first the deafening destructiveness of ignorance, all right? The deafening destructiveness of ignorance. Then we'll look at God's will for us to muzzle fools, to silence them by doing good. And then we'll briefly look at living as slaves of God, not man. So first, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So I want you to consider the destructiveness of ignorance in this world. In Peter's day, just as in our own, there are many people ignorant of Christianity. In fact, if you're here tonight and you are not a Christian, I can almost assure you that you do not understand what it is that you are rejecting. You don't understand the fullness and the beauty and the goodness of the gospel of Christ that you are rejecting. And if you are a Christian, perhaps a new Christian, you need to be prepared for the ignorance of foolish people. People are going to misrepresent your Lord. They're going to slander His people. They're going to disparage His Word, the Bible. And they're going to mock His laws. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you've interacted with unbelievers, you know that that happens. This ignorance, however is not an innocent ignorance. This is not the type of ignorance where someone's like, well, yeah, I just didn't know, sorry, I didn't know that about Christianity. Spiritual ignorance is always culpable. It's always an ignorance that carries with it guilt. It's an ignorance that is willful. It's an ignorance born out of malice and a suppression of the truth. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, he writes about how the unconverted, those that do not know Christ... They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Ignorance is the result of a hard heart. right? It's, it's not knowing, having no knowledge. That's what ignorance means. No knowledge. No knowledge of, of, of God personally and no true knowledge of what Christianity is even all about. It's, it's being in the dark, but it's a willful darkness. Paul Paul makes this clear in Romans 1. He says, no one can claim ignorance as an excuse. No one can say, well, I just didn't know that there was a God. Or I just didn't know that I was supposed to, you know, live a certain way. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 19, "...for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." No one can say, well, I didn't know, so therefore I'm innocent. Now, Peter here in our text doesn't just say that we need to silence ignorance. He says we need to silence the ignorance of fools. Now, a fool, Peter's not here using a derogatory term or or insulting someone. In the Bible, a fool is someone who refuses to follow the wisdom of God. It's not an intellectual comment. It's a moral comment that you have refused to follow the wisdom of God. It is the fool who has said in his heart, there's no God over him who will call into account, Psalm 14.1. It is the fool who refuses to submit to Christ's word, Matthew 7, 26. It's the fool who does not prepare for the coming of Christ, Matthew 25, 3. So ignorance and foolishness are linked together. A lack of knowledge is a result of a sinful unwillingness to submit to God and his word. And if you've sought to share your faith, as I know many of you in here have, and if you've found yourself talking to someone who's very hardened to the gospel, who's hardened to Christ, just ha- you can just almost feel the animosity that they have towards Christ. You know of what I speak, right? I've spoken with people who, they're so adamant about the foolishness of the Christian position but they're so unwilling to listen to my defense of the Christian faith. I would answer their objections and explain it to them, but they have no interest in that. They're so ignorant of what Christianity actually is, and again, that's not an intellectual insult. That's saying they just don't, they have, they have no knowledge of it. They're ignorant of it, but they will not submit to learning about the truth so that they might no longer be ignorant, right? They prefer the ignorance. To obedience. They'd rather be ignorant than obey Christ. They prefer prefer foolishness to wisdom. And it's a crazy cycle. The foolishness produces their ignorance, and their foolishness keeps them in the darkness. And there may be some even here tonight, and we know um, there are many in this nation that go to church on Sunday mornings, and yet they're ignorant of Christianity. Right? You can willingly suppress the truth and refuse to look deeper into this king about whom we have sung and that those around you serve, you can suppress that truth. It's a dangerous thing, and we ought not to underestimate the destructiveness of this ignorance that's all around us. Ignorance is destructive. It's loud because Peter says it needs to be silenced. It leads to sin in the individual's life. It leads to injustice in society, and ultimately it leads to hell. Remember what God said to Hosea? He said, my people are destroyed for something. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for willful ignorance. Ignorance is devastating. And so Peter looks around at the landscape, and he sees that Christians are being maligned, they're being ridiculed, ridiculed, they're being slandered by both their fellow citizens and the civil government. They're being accused of cannibalism and incest. I believe Pastor Dave mentioned this last week. They're accused of being atheists, right? And, and those who refused to submit to Christ were spreading lies about the Christians. And their ignorance was destroying both their own souls, right, of these unconverted who are just spreading these lies, and also the society in which they lived. And think about Nero's ignorance of Christianity. That was part of the reason that Christians were suffering all over Asia Minor, in fact, all over the Roman Empire, because of this willful ignorance of foolish people. Here was Nero, right? Here was an emperor who should have been ruling according to God's standard of justice. And yet in his ignorance and suppression of the truth, he was operating according to his own folly. And that's why Proverbs 28, 5, when it says, evil men do not understand justice, right? The moral suppression of truth makes you ignorant of God's word and the the principles of righteousness and justice. Nero had no knowledge, no understanding of righteous ruling because of his willful suppression of the truth. Now, Nero's ignorance was not bliss, as I said. It was deadly. It was deadly to him, and it was deadly to many Christians who lost their lives under his reign. And it ended up, of course, costing Nero his his soul an eternity. For what we know, he did not repent of his animosity towards Christ. So, in, in one real sense... Ignorance is the great problem in the world today. People do not know Jesus Christ. They're ignorant of Jesus Christ. They don't know his word. They don't know the way of righteousness. And is not the suffering that Christians faced in the first century and that Christians face even today throughout the world a a result of the ignorance of foolish people all around them? In one sense, wasn't it even ignorance that led the civil rulers to crucify Christ? When the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he says that if the rulers of this age had understood what was going on, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There was a sense they were ignorant of what was going on. And if Nero truly understood, if he truly knew, would he have crucified Peter and slain Paul? apostles of that Lord of glory? You see, a willful ignorance is a very interesting concept. You're willfully unaware of something. On the one hand, wicked men like Nero and others throughout history, they know, they know that they oppose their maker. They know that there's a God and that they stand opposed to him, which is why their opposition is often so violent against Christians, as we'll see in a moment. But on the other hand, They're ignorant of the power and glory and unstoppable progress of Christ and Christ's kingdom. They're blind to it. If they truly knew, they wouldn't wouldn't persist in their rebellion. Ignorance is not listed as deadly, but God has a plan to deal with the ignorance that is all around us. And if you are a Christian, you are part of that plan. So what is God's plan? Still in verse 15, this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence or muzzle or gag the innocence the ignorance excuse me the ignorance of foolish people muzzle god's will is for christians to muzzle the ignorance of fools to silence it this certainly refers to us silencing silencing individuals who are slandering us or speaking falsely against christ mocking christians And we're to respond with godly, living, righteous living to silence that ridicule. We're not to return it in kind. We're not to speak harshly back to people. We're to respond with godly lives. But for the sake of our discussion tonight, I want us to focus on how this applies to the Christian's relationship to Nero and to the civil government. You see, God is against those who do evil. And oppose Christ. In fact, later in First Peter chapter three, we'll see Peter quotes from the Old Testament. He says, "The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil." So, not only is God opposed to these people, though, He actually His will is that those who oppose Christ should be silenced. God's will is that those who stand opposed to Christ. Should be silenced. They should be muzzled. The foolish murmuring of fools, whether it's a a peasant or a king, is an affront. It's an offense to God, and he calls on Christians to silence it. He calls on Christians, in this sense, to subdue opposition to Christ, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But he doesn't call on us to do it with swords or guns or bombs. The way that we are to silence the ignorance of foolish people, even an emperor, is by doing good. By doing good. The key theme of this verse, and even much of Peter, is doing good in the face of suffering. In First Peter 2.12, he mentions uh, uh, your good deeds. Verse 15 here, verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 6, 11, 13, 16, and 17. This concept of doing good. And the key one, perhaps, for the whole chapter is for the whole book is First Peter four nineteen, where he says, "Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good." So this verse teaches us that it's not only our responsibility to submit to Nero, but we are actually called to silence his ignorance by doing good. We are called the silence the ignorance of foolish people. So doing good in reference to Nero, or whoever your civil leader is, means not only obeying his just laws and speaking respectfully of him, but it also means disobeying him. It means disobeying Nero. We must not obey Nero when he commands us to do evil or forbids us from doing good. This obedience to God, even if it means resistance to the ruler, is the very means that God will use to defeat the strongholds in this world. Peter knew this very well, right? Along with the rest of the apostles, what did he proclaim when he was charged with, you cannot preach Christ anymore? He said, we must obey God rather than men. So while we are not to seek to violently overthrow a Nero or a president or an emperor or a king, We actually have weapons far more powerful than guns and bombs and violence. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. We have the Gospel of God. None of those things can fail. The resistance that Christians are to employ, the resistance that Peter called on these Christians to employ, is to do good by relying on the Spirit, standing on the Word, preaching Christ, with these weapons, Christians will win the day. The end game here is not that Nero silences Christianity. That's not God's end game. He says this is the will of God, that you silence the ignorance of foolish people. The end game isn't that the Roman Empire snuffs out Christianity. right? The end game today isn't that China silences all the Christians. The end game is that Nero is silenced. The end game is that all the anti-Christian ideologies are silenced, defeated. The end game is that every kingdom that opposes Christ will be silenced. right? Ultimately, but not merely by Christ's return at the end of history, but by our own good conduct, Peter says right here. By your good conduct, by doing good, you will silence this ignorance. This is the charge. Even if you are suffering... You must do good in order that Nero might be silenced, that Nero might be muzzled. The reason they were suffering under Nero was because they were doing good, preaching the gospel, worshiping God alone. And Peter calls them, do more good, keep doing good, obey God's law, the very standard of what is good at all costs. If God calls us to preach the gospel, which he does, it is good to preach the gospel and we will do it. God calls us to worship Him alone. Therefore, it is good to worship Him alone, and we will do it. God calls us to avoid sin. Therefore, it is good to avoid sin. Therefore, we will avoid it. This is why Christians have refused to partake in sin throughout history, even if faced with persecution, even if faced with giving up their own lives because of their obedience to Christ. Doing good is a higher calling than submitting to sin. Doing good, doing God's will, is a higher calling than obeying an evil ruler, no matter what earthly benefit you get from it. The Christian baker who refuses to bake a cake celebrating sin does so out of obedience to Jesus Christ. The Christian preacher refuses to be silent about abortion or homosexuality because he cannot do so in obedience to Christ. You can't be silent and obey Christ at the same time. This is the way in which we are to resist evil, by doing good. Rushdoony said, godly obedience is the best ground for resistance to evil. Godly obedience is the best way to resist evil. That's the charge Peter gives. He says, this is the way you muzzle Nero and other fools. It's by doing good, obeying God rather than man. It is this testimony that will win souls to Christ it is this testimony that will transform the world and here's the thing it is this testimony incidentally which most threatens Nero and every other pagan civil government when I speak of Nero again I'm using him as kind of a a character to refer to any evil civil ruler anyone who would stand opposed to Christ so let me explain just for a moment here something about opposition that Christians face from civil rulers. Nero certainly is not alone in opposing Christ's reign on earth. And I believe the desire of every Christian should be to see every civil ruler bow the knee to Christ and rule justly, right? We ought to desire justice and righteousness in every land. Now, the manner we go about seeking this dominion of the gospel Uh, is not through physical violence, but through fearing God, preaching Christ, living godly lives, loving the brethren. But you know what the most dangerous thing to Nero is? The most dangerous thing to any evil tyrant. The most dangerous thing to them is the gospel being preached, sinners being saved, and obedience to Christ becoming the most important thing to people. Have you ever thought about why it is that civil governments sometimes are so opposed to Christianity. Why was Nero so opposed to Christians in the first place? Why were Christians such a threat to Emperor Trajan 50 years later that he had no problem with Pliny murdering them if they refused to recant? Why do nations today stand opposed to Christianity, killing, persecuting followers of Christ? In First Peter, I think we have the answer to that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Peter says that the Christians are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, and here's the key, for obedience to Jesus Christ. In those five words, for obedience to Jesus Christ, you have the reason for every single act of opposition to the Christian religion by any emperor, king, or autocrat. You see, Nero knew that he had no hope to achieve his ends if there was one above him who demands unqualified obedience. There can only be one who is worthy of unqualified obedience. Only one can be the highest authority. And so the greatest threat to Nero is a message which calls on people to submit to someone other than Nero as their highest authority. Every evil tyrant needs people who are willing to do his dirty work. He needs people to suppress truth and promote evil. If people become Christians, they cannot obey Nero in doing evil. Think about an example closer to today. What would have become of Hitler's Germany if the Nazis were all converted to Christ? It would have crumbled without a shot having to been fired. Because no one would have obeyed. Hitler's evil commands to oppress and persecute innocent people. Hitler decided to take the hard road and he ended up losing everything. He would have better off submitting to Christ both in an earthly sense and an eternal one. That is why Nero opposes Christianity because they stand for obedience to a higher authority. I look at one more place in 1 Peter 3, verse 22. Peter says that Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This, Peter says, this is the king, whether you submit to him now or not. This is your ruler, and his name is not Nero, his name is not Hitler, his name is not Barack Obama, his name is not Donald Trump. His name is Jesus. You submit to Nero, you submit to the president But you do it for King Jesus' sake, for the Lord's sake, not Nero's sake, not Mr. Trump's sake. Nero and Donald Trump could only dream of the honor, power, and authority that is vested in the hem of Christ's garment. The answer to the question of why civil governments oppose Christianity, why the Neros of this world oppose Christ, is that a king has come who is a rival to their throne. Right? We sang the song, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Jesus came as a king. Have you ever thought about why some of the, the fiercest persecution and, and threats that Jesus faced were from civil authorities? He's born, he's, he, he, you know, he's still a newborn, and King Herod is, is seeking to kill him because Herod knows here comes one who is a threat to my throne. Christ has come and he's a rival to Nero. There is one thing, right, that Nero and the Gentiles were correct about. In one sense, the Christians were enemies of the state. They were charged with the Christians are enemies of the state. Now, that wasn't true in the sense that the Christians were going to overthrow and use force and violence, but they were enemies of the humanistic order that led to oppression and injustice. They were enemies of Nero's plans. Because Nero had wicked plans. And the Christians would not go along with that in obeying evil. At Rushduni, again, I've quoted him before. I want to quote him again here. He says that Rome, talking about Nero, in persecuting the early church, they were trying to preserve their own law order. The emperors clearly saw the issue. They knew what was going on. Here's the issue. Christ or Caesar. You can't have both. It's one or the other. They knew. They understood the issue in that sense that You submit to Christ, and then you cannot submit to Caesar in certain areas. Or you submit to Caesar, the emperor, and all things, and Christ becomes relegated to second place. They knew that, which is why they hated the Christians. Every tyrant, every evil ruler, every wicked group of civil magistrates is by nature opposed to the Son of God, and therefore the followers of the Son of God. There's no neutrality every ruler is commanded to submit to Christ as king and follow God's law or perish in the way. We see that in Psalm 2. Jesus Christ demands unqualified obedience. Nero demanded unqualified obedience. Jesus Christ demands unqualified obedience. Hitler demanded unqualified obedience. Jesus Christ demands unqualified obedience. The Communist Party demands unqualified obedience. Someone has to move here. Someone has to give in. Who is it going to be? I tell you, it will not be the Lord of glory who rules the wind and the sea and with a mere word from his mouth created all things. It will not be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will win the day. And every wicked king who ever stood opposed to Christ's kingdom from Nero up to today will rue the day that they refused to submit to Christ. So the Christian faith centers upon this man, Christ, who was opposed by kings and rulers precisely because he threatened to destroy their man-made humanistic kingdoms. I want you to consider China today. I read an article earlier this year about um, the Chinese government is willing to pay citizens a decent amount of money to betray their fellow citizens if they're meeting with Christians in secret. Why is China's Nero, if you will, China's authorities, why are they opposed to Christianity? Right? It's because the greatest threat to communist China is not America, it's not Fox News, it's not Donald Trump. The greatest threat to China's evil civil government is Christians doing good. And the greatest threat to evil rulers in America, right, a government which endorses the slaughter of babies, is Jesus Christ's followers doing good. That's the greatest threat to any evil government. This is how Christ's kingdom is expanded and will be victorious. And here's the thing. I think, ultimately, all these evil rulers and governments and leaders, they know that. They know that Jesus Christ and his followers stand opposed to them. And they understand that Jesus Christ is the greatest threat they will ever face. In fact, he's the only true threat to man's evil machinations, man's plans. Again, just to make sure you understand this, why is it that Nero would oppose the Christian faith? Here's the key, if I could summarize it. If a first century Christian, when when Peter's writing this, if a first century Christian will disregard Nero's command to bow the knee to the emperor and worship his statue, What will stop his entire empire from obeying this Messiah rather than obeying him? It's a threat to his rule. If you will refuse to bow the knee to Nero, and you will rather bow the knee to Christ, what's stopping you from undermining his entire rule? If a 20th century German citizen will not obey Hitler's command to oppress his Jews, his neighbor, what will stop the entire nation from obeying Christ rather than Hitler. You see, this is why it's such a threat to evil rulers, because Christians stand opposed to unqualified obedience. If a 21st century Chinese Christian today will disregard the government's command to only gather at a state-sanctioned church, if you're a Christian in China, as I understand it, you have to worship at a church that the government has authorized. And if you know anything about church history, those churches are usually not very biblical. And so if you are a Christian in China, you are faced with disregarding the command of your authorities and obeying Christ. And from their perspective, if you have a group of people who say, we will not obey you, we will obey Jesus Christ, in their mind, what's going to stop the whole nation from disregarding communism and obeying Christ rather than evil? The greatest threat to Nero... Was not barbarian hordes or political intrigue the greatest threat to Nero? Was Jesus Christ and Nero's fears were not unfounded because Christians alone had the 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 ability, the power to silence him. And the communist party's fears in China are not unfounded. You know what will destroy communism and oppression and abortion in China? You know what can destroy humanism and sexual perversion and mass murder of babies in America? You know, it can undermine an entire system of evil, oppression, injustice, greed, and murder, and tyranny. Only one thing. Christians doing good, preaching the gospel, refusing to sin, leading others to Christ, and calling on magistrates to bow the knee to Christ. We have a method far more powerful than violent revolt. We have the method of doing good. You know, for those who doubt... Uh, the power of the gospel to, to transform the world, to silence fools, to turn the world upside down, remember what the Apostle Paul said. He said, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not weak, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Divine power to destroy strongholds. I think far too many Christians, far too often we have underestimated the power of the gospel, not only to change the sinner's heart, but to change the world. And I don't think Nero or Trajan, or any who stand opposed to Christianity, confused as they may have been, underestimated that. I don't think communist China underestimates it in one sense. That's why they're going after the Christians. Friends, the Christians to whom Peter wrote were suffering under Nero because Nero had reason to fear the Christians. Think about every mass genocide, every oppression in human history. Fear is always involved. Fear of what these people will do to our society, our economy, our prosperity, if they're allowed to live and prosper. You know, Hitler stirred up people's hate of the Jews, but he also stirred up their fear of the Jews. And I can guarantee you that the Chinese government would not go to such lengths as paying citizens to betray their own neighbors if the government didn't fear what Christianity could do to their plans. All of these plans, all these evil machinations are born out of ignorance and folly. And it is this loud and deafening ignorance that has painted so much of human history with bloodshed and oppression and violence. And it is this ignorance that we are called to silence by doing good. The kingdom of Christ marches on long after Nero's kingdom fell. It will march on still. For there are more enemies we must silence. Final point briefly from verse 17. I focus my attention on these first three verses. I want to mention simply here that while Nero has a right to fear Christians, not because we'll violently depose him, but because we represent someone who already has deposed him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pharaoh has that right to fear Christ's kingdom, but Christians are not to fear man. Peter calls on Christians to have no fear of those who would persecute them. Don't fear what Nero can do to you. Verse 17 says, verse 16, excuse me, live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants or slaves of God. You are not a servant of Nero. You are not a slave of your government. You do not exist for them. You do not stop preaching the gospel because they command you to. You are a slave of God. You take a command from Nero and a command from Christ. And you got one guess. I'll give you one guess to choose which command you want to obey. You know it's Christ's. We should value our freedom and be thankful for it, but we should value our bondage to Christ more. Christians are the freest people on earth because they are free from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and they're free from the fear of man, which has led to so much uh, destruction and evil in the world. And know that we would have more courage to stand in the face of persecution. I fear we have become lazy and complacent as God has blessed us with prosperity and peace in our nation. I fear sometimes we value our earthly freedoms more than we value doing good. Paul didn't, and Peter didn't. They laid down their lives knowing that they were doing good as a slave of God. So, in conclusion, the way that we defeat Nero is not by killing him, but it's by undermining the very foundation of his rule, the fear of man, obeying evil. We undermine those things. We live as servants of God people who do not need to fear what Nero can do to us. Those are the only people that tyrants truly fear. Those people who will not be bought, will not be bribed, will not be intimidated. The only solution that Nero has is to try to stamp out the Christians. But he won't succeed. He won't succeed. No evil ruler will. We will live as slaves of God, obeying God rather than committing injustice. We will honor Nero. We will honor the president, but we will fear God. And that means we will not put the light of the gospel under a bushel. We will proclaim it far and wide. We will confront the evil and darkness in our society, even those atrocities endorsed by the state with the light of God's word. You can lock us up, but the word of God is not chained. Right? The Roman Empire has long since fallen, but Christ's kingdom... Carries on. I actually just got this in the mail today, and it was very interesting because it fit in exactly with what I'm talking about tonight. This is from Voice of the Martyrs, and the man is writing about what's going on in Iran. And I just want to read a brief portion of this. He says that in Iran, the government violently restricts its citizens' freedoms with a vengeful focus on those who leave Islam and follow Christ. Suicide, drug addiction, and other societal ills have reached staggering rates. Still, God has been faithful to bring eternal good out of this temporal harm. Iran's failed Islamic theocracy has provided the country's Muslim people with the blessing of clarity. They have seen that Islam does not succeed as it claims when given full sway over spiritual, economic, and governmental destinies. It fails. I have had the blessing of working closely with Iranians for many years and of traveling inside the nation. While I have met some Muslim clerics and devout Muslims in Iran, they are a small minority. Most Iranians have now rejected Islam, and hundreds of thousands have come to faith in Christ in the last decade. Let us never cease praying for them as they faithfully witness for Christ in one of the world's most restricted nations. They have silenced the Nero of Iran. He hangs on, but he will not triumph. And for us, we ought to um, consider how we might be more bold in our land, in our nation, learn from those who have gone before us, learn from those who are living in other parts of the world now, be encouraged by the advancement of the Christian faith, even amidst suffering, even suffering from governments. We often have a very narrow view of Christianity, right? But we need to broaden our view, understand what's going on around the world, what's gone on in history we need young men who will rise up as ministers to stand in the gap and preach the gospel and lead the charge to silence the ignorance around us. Christians are to be the most honorable, respectful, submissive people on this planet. But we are also to be the most courageous, the most bold, and the most unyielding in our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be a spectacle to the world in that sense. A people who are wronged and yet refuse To return evil, a people who are unjustly treated, threatened, and yet refuse to bow the knee to Nero. Christians have weapons far more powerful than missiles, tanks, and bombs. The Chinese Christians are a far greater threat to the humanistic government of China than a nuclear arsenal. As Christians, we are not violent revolutionaries, but we are turning the world upside down. And we're doing it by doing good, respecting authorities but answering ultimately to the king of kings, the lord of lords, the emperor of emperors, the governor of governors, Jesus Christ. You see, his titles are not merely spiritual, right? We say king of kings, lord of lords. Those are political titles. He's a king over all people, over all rulers, and his lordship extends over every Nero that ever lived, is living, or will live. And we've been clothed with power as Christians to silence those who stand opposed to this king. We alone have that power. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, holy living, and propagation of the truth in order to silence the ignorance around us and lead others to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you that you, Jesus, are King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none who can oppose you successfully. Help us to be encouraged, to be strengthened by considering the great victory that you won at the cross, that now you are at the right hand of your Father, Lord Jesus, that you are defeating all your enemies. And it is a long battle, and there is much suffering. We pray for those Christians in other nations that are suffering under Nero's, under unjust civil governments. We pray that you would keep them faithful to obey you rather than man, and that their testimony, their faithfulness would actually lead to the the, the conversion of those who stand opposed to you and that their kingdom would submit to the ever-expanding, victorious kingdom of Christ. Help us to be godly citizens who respect authority but who ultimately obey Christ rather than man. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.